G'day, it's Phil Edwards, Vision CEO here, with a quick invitation to become part of this amazing beacon of hope called Vision. Together we can put our love into action to help people of all kinds build or rebuild their lives on the truth of God. Please consider the part you can play during our upcoming Visionathon appeal, remembering that it's your support that makes Vision possible, including this podcast. Coming up today on The Story. Probably this is in response to people putting me down for not having qualified. Even relatives would say I was a loser. We're never any good. You're no good. You'll never be any good. So I wanted to prove myself constantly. So I'd get into near punch-up in hotels and even on television I'd be showing off radio. It was just all about me. The Story. G'day, I'm Jimmy Colfax. Welcome to The Story. Well, our guest today is a bit different. And that's because he is different. Nevin Solian has been blessed with a photographic memory, which enables him to store amazing amounts of facts and figures in his mind. This has led to him becoming somewhat of a trivia master and winning thousands of dollars on quiz shows like Sale of the Century, Quizmaster and Millionaire. There was even an award-winning documentary made about his life called The Trivialist. But there was a dark side to all this success It turns out his ego-driven winning was constantly rubbing people the wrong way. He was even banned from trivia nights at over 25 Melbourne pubs. And his life brings up the question, is it possible to have heaps and heaps of knowledge and facts in your head, but not have wisdom? We'll find out today as Nevin has a chat and shares his story with Eric Scadabo. For the title of Quizmaster Champion and your share of $250,000, the correct answer to question number 10 is Dame Patty. Nevin, welcome to the program. Yes, good day. Nice to see you again. Let's start off from the beginning. How did you get to be so good at trivia? Uh, Jesus Christ has given me a photographic memory. He's provided a lot of blessings in my life, but ironically, the greatest blessing of that photographic memory is a generational blessing from down from, certainly on my father's side, from my grandfather who I grew up with. My father was never there. We'll talk about your father being absent in a little Mm. bit, but your grandfather had a photographic memory as well. Is that what you're saying? Yes, he was a junior chess champion in that part of Europe. In fact, he escaped like a concentration camp by beating the commandant at chess. What part of Europe? It's the former Yugoslavia, Mm called Croatia now. Mm -hmm. Mm. And so what was his claim to fame? Oh, he was head of the tax department in his hometown, chess champion, but when the Nazis came through, he literally yelled obscenities at them and they had a gun to his temple i wouldn't be here in this body right now if they'd shot him so the commandant challenged my grandfather to a game of chess he said, if you can beat me twice you can walk so he walked out of the prison really during the war yes wow this is the level when he passed away the yugoslav newspaper wrote there goes a genius now i rejected this side of my family through my father but that provided me with a photographic memory that side of the family and why did you reject your father because he <laughs> Did a lot of things. He, he womanized. He also signed off a property in Hawthorne and land down at Apollo Bank, forging my mother's signature and robbed my piggy bank. Oh, wow. <laughs> Apart from that, he was a reasonable boy. So you grew up? A latchkey child. With this strong dislike for your father? Yes, very much so. Okay. Well, it's a mother's boy, but she provided everything for me. Years later, he'd say, oh, one of us had to look after you, which is a great cop-out. Mm. Mm. And he was a musician and he was off traveling a lot. 
He was a successful musician. He had uh, music in uh, jukeboxes, if people remember what they were in the city. He, mm-hmm. he had a group called Los Trios Caballeros, Spanish for gentlemen, you know, doing Desi Arnaz covers from I Love mm-hmm. Lucy. Yeah. Okay. So he was very successful. Yeah. But you inherited, as you mentioned, from your grandfather, this photographic memory. And so how did that manifest itself in school? How'd you do? Okay. School was always easy for me. I was almost the ducks of uh, Glen Free State School. But as I, as puberty hit and the, the hormones hit, uh, I concentrated less on work and more on girls. And my, I had a great- Got a bit distracted, huh? Yeah, very much so. So much so that I missed out on medicine, which I wanted to do by about five to seven marks in year 12. So then I just became a professional student. Okay. So very intelligent. But how did school go when you went on to university? Okay, I was the youngest to leave Melbourne High School at 16, and I found the university after a boys' high school was like Disneyland, and I just got so distracted. So at Monash University, I had a nearly fail. It's quite interesting. I had always had sleep problems. I had a very active mind, and I was preparing for a multiple-choice exam, and on the, on the repercharge exam in science, I had an essay essay questions i was so sleepy i just walked out of the room and i mm. failed the first year but i came back at latrobe back at monash and flip-flopped mm. in three university camp by so bottom line if i mm. understand your story correctly even though you had this photographic memory ultimately university was not successful well you said you were a professional student you just kept 11 years worth without a degree okay and then how did you get into the world of trivia and getting on all these game shows well, that's easy. Um, I was driving a taxi in what I call the Great Depression of the early 90s. Now, that's going to shock some people right there. The Ms. Great Depression or taxi? Well, that, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well I'm going to get the taxi because mm. you're this super smart guy yeah. driving a taxi. Well, I, I worked in the government. I've had a hundred different jobs, but when I met my de facto wife, we had a child straight away and then a daughter. I, taxis seemed to be always available so I could mm-hmm. make good money. In fact, when I started working in taxis in 1983, I was making the equivalent of, say, $30 an hour with tips. Then it went down in the Depression to about $5 an hour, you know, but I just was, it was there. Yeah. It made me tough. Actually, that was a driving force to do well in quizzes. As a taxi driver, it must have been the Holy Spirit that advised me to go to, if living in St Kilda all the way to Footscray, I used to walk home driving a taxi. Walk home? Yeah, from Footscray to St Kilda every second wow. night. And it made me tough. And then one person there said, he thought myself and another man, he said, you two guys should go and sell to the century. So that was like a spark. I said, I haven't even got a TV. I don't watch a show. But we trained very well for that. How do you train for a trivia show? Okay, you, you put a, like a cup on a table and you pretend you're pressing a buzzer. Oh, okay. Then you study as mm-hmm. much as you can. How'd that go? Sell the century. I had a rapacious appetite to make up for all the times I couldn't get a degree or failed scholastically. So this was your chance to prove everybody, hey, I am smart, even though you weren't achieving academic success or financial success or career success. So you could prove yourself by this quiz show. Is that what you were thinking? I studied for 18 months to pass that test, and it all went down to the last minute on the first night. So obviously, uh, by training night after night in the taxi depot at three in the morning, it made me strong, and I got through. And then uh, apparently you won over $150,000 on Quizmaster, over $32,000 on Millionaire, and so forth and so on. Yeah, I won Princess Diana's car on Sale of the Century, which was worth 90 grand. I had to take it. Yeah. Wow. Which so, is ironic because I was walking home from taxis before I could cash in the car and the cops said, haven't, police said, haven't you got a car? 
I said, I've just won Princess Diana's model car on TV, <laughs> but I can't sell it. And they laughed and let me go. At three in the morning, it was quite funny. It was true. I learned then somehow uh, that telling the truth at all costs is a reward. Hmm. And I learned that at Salvation Army 12 years later. Wow. So hmm. you actually won Princess Diana's car. Hmm. Well, so, the model. Yeah. The model. Convertible Audi Cabriolet. Wow. Hmm. But then you went on more programs and won more money. And we're tremendously successful. It was interesting. There were two shows in 2000. We have to fast forward five years. And one of them was so boring. The ABC literally fell asleep in front of the camera. But the other one was a millionaire. And uh, I had the insight to give up taxes when the GST came in. That came in in the end of June 2000. And I relied on radio quizzes. And I... I got to know all the radio quizzes winning either cash or prizes, and there was constantly selling prizes for cash. I lived off as a professional. You were a professional trivia answerer <laughs> or mm. trivia master, and so you were actually living off of winning trivia contests. Mm, I had lived off trivia and quiz knowledge from 2000 till basically today with a, a major job in the political party for five years in between. And unfortunately... You kind of got a reputation for, well, you've heard the term being a, a sore loser. They kind of called you a sore winner. Mm. What was behind that? Why did people not really want to be around you when you're winning? Uh, I was a show off. Like, probably this is uh, in response to people putting me down for not having qualified. Even relatives would say I was a loser. We're never any good. You're no good. You'll never be any good. Mm. So I wanted to prove myself constantly. So I'd get into near punch-up in hotels, and even on television, I'd be showing off radio. It was just all about me. I was my own God. Very ego-driven. Extremely so. A show-off. I would have hated me. So you actually were so good at trivia that you found out that if you get so many right, mm. you're disqualified, like in radio contests. Mm. So you had purposely get some wrong just so that you wouldn't be banned for a month. Yeah. There was an ABC quiz at midnight with, which a lot of taxi drivers would listen to and I would purposely throw the last of 25 questions with, in a creative fashion so I wouldn't be banned for a month. If they found out I'd thrown the question, I'd put on voices from women to old people, yeah, whatever it was. You once posed as a Nazi? Yeah, an ex-Nazi from Heidelberg and I gave myself a big rap and I fooled the whole of the ABC staff and people would <laughs> ring in the next day. But this was just about showing off so that you'd get an offer from a TV show. Yes. Showing off happened, interestingly enough, before and after TV. But it's certainly one of the producers shocked me and said that it was a St. John's Church in Turek where they had the audition. Said, oh, we heard about you on the radio. So it worked. So my, selling myself for 18 months on the radio worked to get the car. Yeah. So interesting. You're kind of having these parallel tracks. On the one hand, tremendous mm. success as a trivia master. But on the other hand... People not really liking you on a personal level because they think you're kind of a jerk for answering all these questions at trivia nights and nobody else can win. So even though I was pretty hopeless socially, I got a high out of being rejected. You got a high out of being rejected? Yes. I found that was fascinating. I actually, got, there was an, a wrong sort of energy about it. Yeah. Hmm. And what was happening inside? Inside, I was like, oh, even the women I could never have or, you know, would say, oh, this bloke's a success, and even though we hate him. I, I, I got to uh, love being hated. Really? I fed off it. Mm. Really? It's demonic. Mm. So it's this awesome. was tremendous success, but yet personal hell. I mean, how were you feeling? Yeah. Were you depressed? Yeah, I, I couldn't sleep uh, most of my adult life. We're uh, looking at an average of four and a half hours. But yeah, I actually fed off being noticed. Which is... So that was your godless. ego. That was your what was driving you. Yes. 
And of to course, prove, yeah. that's never going to bring fulfillment. But you're about to say it's to prove what to all the people who doubted you or and your father. Was that kind of the driving force behind it all? Yes. Um, you alluded to a film that was made. That was they, the Trivialist. Yeah, the Trivialist was made, uh, saying that I wanted to prove, hey, father, I've made it. You know, mm-hmm. so but basically, I wanted it to shove that impression down everyone's throat. And I look at me. Yeah, look at me. Look at me. Look at me. Yeah. You said I wasn't any good, but mm. I'm winning all these prizes on TV. Mm, look at me. Yeah. So while you were in the height of your being a quiz master. God was still kind of sending you signals in a way to kind of lead you to him. This is true. Um, when I was driving taxis before the big time, I had a piece of music. You'd probably understand. It's the Appalachian Spring by Aaron Copeland. And that would, I would play that every night in the taxi when I had a taxi with a CD or a, a tape player. Mm-hmm. And that God spoke to me through this. Like, you're going to make it, you're going to make it, you're going to make it. Because I was really in debt. I didn't know I was twenty-five, dollars $30,000 in debt that I was even going to win. But I didn't know it was a winning sale of the century. Hmm. So God kind of spoke to you. Through this music. Through the music. Now let's talk about what was the high point. That's easy. Uh, there was a show called Quizmaster where I got you know, to show off, but I also won the best part of $250,000 in one night. And people would come up to me asking me for autographs. I went to Luna Park in between two weeks of this show being on Channel 7. And people would come up to me and say, oh, can I touch you? Wow. Now this is phony. But I realized later on how funny it was. <laughs> hmm. It was a high point. Yeah. Now, part of that show was that you were going to be paired up against the other top quiz masters. Hmm. Three of about 10 in the first week, yeah. And there was one guy. William Lang. William Lang, who was very successful on Millionaire. But you kind of had a personal grudge against him because he made a whole lot more money than you. William he wrote Lang. a book on who wants to be a millionaire as well. So he's the <laughs> legend. He's yeah. the successful one. Yeah. And you're going to try to knock him off the top perch, so to speak. My ego dictated, Eric, that I would literally, if I couldn't beat him, pull him apart physically in the, in the, in the car park. I wanted to defeat this man. But I, I, the, the questions went my way, and I intimidated everybody in the night, and I uh, actually beat him. But we became friends. Now, the irony is, mm. yes. at the end, you are allowed to pick somebody to help you for the, the top prize, and yeah. you pick him. Because yeah, he was clearly the better player, and he helped me win the quarter of a million dollars. And in the end, uh, we actually hugged each other. This is a part of one of the early redemptive processes of my life. You're listening to The Story. Today, Eric Scadabo is chatting with trivia master Nevin Solian, who, beginning in the 1990s, won thousands of dollars on quiz shows like Sale of the Century, Quizmaster and Millionaire. We'll hear more of his story and about the impact Christ has made on his life when we return. The Story. If this program has highlighted something you'd like prayer for, we'd love to pray for you. Call 1-800-PRAY-FOR-ME. That's 1-800-772-936. It's a free call. Or text 0401 132 Hi, I'm Jimmy Colfax and this is The Story. Our guest today is trivia master and colourful character, Nevin Solian, who was so successful that he was banned from trivia nights at over 25 Melbourne pubs. There was even a documentary made about his life called The Trivialist. 
But as we heard before the break, there was a dark side to all of this success. It turns out that he managed to rub people the wrong way and became known as somewhat of a show-off. Here's more of Nevin sharing his story with Eric Scatterbo. On the one hand, you had tremendous success winning all these money and cars on all these trivia shows and on the radio as well. But then on the other hand, personally, your life was miserable. You were only getting a few hours of sleep at night. You didn't really have peace in your life. Is that a good way of summing it up? That's true. A de facto marriage um, ended six years before sale of the century. And I had two young children who I'd see... Actually, I sorted them a lot, because when the money came in, I got continual access. But there was always this harmony with uh, my ex-partner, and I had ulcers, and a lot of things were wrong. But I really felt sorry about my children getting in the crossfire. Mm-hmm. But uh, it wasn't until I followed my son into Salvation Army that... Uh, yeah, let's talk about that. Go. How did finally God enter into your life, and how did you turn the corner? Hmm. Uh, the reason I used to uh, hit out at people's was I was hurt. So I hurt people hurt. Mm. Also, my ex, my son out of the home I provided, the double-story house. Uh, so he went straight to Salvation Army. So I followed him to Salvation Army. But How old was he? He was 16 when he was thrown out of the house. He became a soldier at 19. And uh, so I, I kept coming there. And they loved me because I was tithing at that stage. But I was also coming to pubs and bringing people from the pubs. And I, I was curious why no one was getting baptised. There was no communion. And I thought as an ex-Catholic, I said, you've got to have communion. So it wasn't until years later, a couple of years later, that a, a Messianic evangelist called Jason, is a Jewish Messianic, uh, preached and uh, it stirred up the spirit within me. And the next morning, God sovereignly worked on my life. And all of a sudden, I was sleeping, ulcers were gone, sore back was gone, and I had the peace in my life. Mm. Well, let's yeah. let's dig deep into what happened to Nevin's heart at that mm. point. Mm-hmm. You were kind of known as a show-off, ego-driven. Mm. What happened to your heart after you accepted Jesus? Oh. Well, I, it's quite interesting because uh, a woman I argued with at a was a Salvation Army run quiz night over how many gold logies Ray Martin had won. <laughs> we're at loggerheads. She was the first person to see my converted heart, and she wept, and we hugged each other. Because I was, she could see the change in my countenance. God put her there to greet me at the door at the Salvation Army. She was only visiting our Coburg Mall and the Salvation Army Hall, and she she was put there by God, and we just embraced, and she saw the change in me. I explained my testimony, and I said, "I'm sorry for all that stuff. That's just the old Nevin. I just realized that was the ego was not of God; it was of the mm-hmm. devil." You admitted that you were wrong. Yes. Would the so old anyway. Nevin do that? No. <laughs> it's completely different. The old Nevin knew everything, literally. Thought Almost. he did. Oh, I thought he did. Mm. But see, I always knew this somehow, and that's part of my testimony. You know, God was working me. He always does Yeah, on every one of us. But uh, he, uh, I always realized that knowledge was beneath intelligence, which is beneath wisdom. But also, this says in Corinthians, the foolishness of God is wiser than men. So mm-hmm. this, my knowledge had nothing to do with godly wisdom or eternal mm-hmm. values. Yeah. So that that transformation overnight into the morning, uh, then I realized that the foolishness of it all, instantaneously. Mm-hmm. Yes. Now, we started off this conversation asking the question, is it possible to have heaps and heaps of knowledge and facts in your head, like you had, but not have wisdom? What is your answer to that question? Of course, because I couldn't hold the marriage together. 
and uh, I had no peace in me. And as I said, there's a pecking order to these things. You know, God says that my knowledge is far above yours and my wisdom is far above yours as the sky is over us right now. And I sort of always knew that. In fact, what helped me was that at Salvation Army in uh, 12 years ago, before I got baptized in the Holy Spirit, we just decided to tell the truth no matter what. And that changed me. It's is it Psalm nineteen? Uh, you have come on. You're the trivia master. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's you know the law of the Lord is perfect, converting the soul. So truth mm. is perfection. He is truth. Jesus Christ. Truth is a person. Jesus Christ is sure. Mm. So Amen. my life changed. In fact, mm. God rewards you speaking the truth because He is truth. Yeah. And what about your relationship with your father? I mean, you shared about how you just hated him for how he treated your mother and everything. I sought to make up with him at all costs. In fact, Captain Steve Black at the Salvation Army looked at me in a congregation of 200 people said, you must make up with your father. So I drove up to see him in Sydney and I made up with him and we cried, I made up and I, I now love him so much that I just sent him a 91st birthday present. And I went up to pray for him on a surprise visit because he said he never wanted to see me again because he thought I was rich. I also made the mistake when I had money of giving too much away because I thought you had to be poor. That's that's the wrong spirit. you know. But I'm now on top of things, but I give m- money as the Lord leads. So you're out of debt. Completely out of debt. You're financially set. Yeah. Set. Mm. But you live very humbly now. I've always been an ascetic. I've always been happy. It said one time, which before the quiz stuff, I wanted to be world chess champion. I used to go to the Melbourne Chess Club. I was happy to listen to Tchaikovsky, have a black coffee and play chess all night. I never needed things. So I've always had a generous ability. It's like in that movie quiz show, John Chaturo plays Herbert Temple. He said, how do you win? It's a game. I don't think about the money. For me, the money was always a game. But then it also lately, uh, we have a very strong evangelism at the Pentecostal church I go to. I just give money away as... God tells me to, and then we pray for people. Not buying the tin, but occasionally someone actually needs it, and it, it breaks their heart. I also do the thing, the trick, or the thing in the supermarket queue. I give money, or I pay for the 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 goods. Although the last time a person said, "I don't trust your God," why are you giving me the money? It was quite funny. And for some reason, oh, you're I keep, paying it forward. Yeah, paying it forward, as you yeah. say, in a yeah. che- supermarket or petrol queue. Yeah, really. Yeah. What kind of reactions you get? Mostly positive, but occasionally people get astounded. Once it was interesting, it was opposite the Springvale Cemetery at the Coles and the person that broke their heart because they didn't believe in God, but I said, God told me to give this to you. We were here for our mother's funeral from interstate. That was wow. God speaking through the money that day. Yeah. So, I don't always do it, no. But as the Lord leads, yes, and I you think, randomly pay for people's bills. Yes, because I've, I've been overly blessed in my life with finance, before and after salvation. Yes. But it sounds like you're not really into money anyway. No, I've been ascetic. I've, I don't need much. Describe uh, your living situation now. I live with a family of five who've come up from Tasmania. So you don't even have your own place? No. I gave away a house for my two children and my ex. And I now feel you're sorry living for- with a family, but you're happy. I'm very happy in a room. And so now, as you've mentioned, you've reconciled with your father, and um, you're sleeping through the night, so you have some peace. I have a lot of peace. And your your son is a Christian as well, so you have fellowship with him. Yes, and even my daughter, she's as close to me as my son. My father's also taught me how to cook, and my mother's the second best cook in the world. And I, I make a meal for, if not strangers, acquaintances every two weeks. So I realize this, the, the world's come full circle. I've actually now 180 degrees. I, I actually uh, serve others at every opportunity, and there's a great reward in that. So you're feeling fulfilled and serving others? 
Yes. Jesus came. I play a lot of tennis too. He didn't come to ace everybody. He came to serve. Yeah. <laughs> Very well put. So your cup runneth over. My cup runneth over, and uh, I've experienced miracles daily, weekly. I mean, I've been through the darkest, you know, suicidal times. Mm-hmm. And, uh, yeah, so now I realize every, every breath is a gift. Amen. Mm-hmm. Nevin Sullyan, thank you so much for sharing the ups and downs of your life journey. Thank God, and it's been a privilege and a pleasure to be that was Eric Scadabo chatting with Nevin Solian, who, as we heard, is a very colourful character who's been blessed with a photographic memory. We also heard how Nevin has gone from being a trivia master to serving the master, our Lord and Saviour, Jesus Christ. We started today's program by asking the question, is it possible to have heaps and heaps of knowledge and facts in your head, but not have wisdom? And of course, the answer is... Yes, that can definitely be the case. Even though Nevin could almost answer every question that was thrown at him, he lacked the wisdom to apply it to life. Also, as it says in the love chapter, 1 Corinthians 13, If I have the gift of prophecy and can fathom all mysteries and all knowledge, but do not have love, I am nothing. If I give all I possess to the poor and give over my body to hardship that I may boast, but do not have love, I gain nothing. And we could add, if I could answer every trivia question known to mankind, but not have love, it means nothing. This is another hard lesson that Nevin had to learn. But now that he's growing in his faith, he's learning about true wisdom and is selflessly giving to others. Well, thanks for joining us for Nevin's unique story. I'm Jimmy Colfax, encouraging you to share your story with someone today. Next time on The Story. So I go in for this interview, and I think the interview goes pretty well. And at the end, they tell me to wait in the lobby. And wouldn't you know, the door on the opposite end of the lobby flies open, and walking right toward me is President Ronald Reagan himself. (laughs) This man was just leader of the free world. He's surrounded by United States Secret Service. I am sure they have no idea who I am or what I'm doing there, and I'm wondering, do I just sit still? What do I do? Can you imagine being in university and getting to work for the person you admire the most? Well, that's exactly what happened to Peggy Grundy, when she had the good fortune of being hired to work for former President Ronald Reagan in 1989. She's written about her experiences in her book, The President Will See You Now, by stories and lessons from Ronald Reagan's final years. We'll hear Peggy's story next time. The The story. Just another way vision is connecting faith to life.